the show. Ba-ba-ba. <laughs> <clears throat> Were you in the story? No, I got invited to go up and do it, but... <laughs> Alright guys, welcome to another episode of The Path Podcast, where we chew on, pulverize, and deconstruct every nuance of the mountain bike world we all love. As always, don't forget to send us your questions uh, that you may have for us at sales at thepathbikeshop.com. We've been adding those to the list and we'll get to them uh, as we... Uh, as we can on the show. Also, remember to follow or participate in the uh, hashtag, uh, hashtag the path podcast on Instagram. We, we like to see the pictures and uh, see what you guys are up to and, and the pictures you're adding. Uh, we're recording this uh, lovely evening from the path Live Oak. Uh, that's the Live Oak Path Bike Shop location. And as always, I'm joined with Tani and Ock. And tonight we have a very special guest, Perry Kramer. Perry is a BMX legend and a longtime SoCal sales rep for Giant Bicycles, and we'll get into that interview soon. Uh, but before we uh, get into that great discussion with PK, as usual, Ox going to fill you in on all the great events going around the path. All right. Thanks a lot, Nathan. Yeah, it's good to be here again this evening. And, oh, dang, we're missing a ride right now as we speak. There's a, a, a road ride going on, and this happens from time to time on Thursday nights. A night road ride along um, a river trail down to the the beautiful Pacific Ocean uh, starts out at about five thirty from the Path Bike Shop. Uh, it's very uh, intermediate paced, thirty five mile ride or so. Uh, it, it's 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 a good time. Fairly safe. A lot of the time, it's out of the traffic on the mountain to sea trail. That's a that's yeah that's along the river trail and it's it's not like some some river trails around are are pretty urban uh, which is cool in itself I I've ridden a lot of those and I love that vibe uh, this is along a lot of coastal uh, coastal areas and along nature reserves so it's it's got a whole different vibe to it it's 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 a great ride a couple other things coming up we've got a fairly advanced ride coming up this Sunday uh, January seventeenth it's called Harding to Joplin so there's a it's about a nine mile nine mile fire road climb uh, in the Santa Ana Mountains to one uh, an epic uh, downhill ride called Joplin uh, out out along another uh, short climb into a cool single track uh, descent uh, back to the cars. So that's on a Sunday December or Sunday January seventeenth out of Live Oak at eight o'clock. Uh, feel free to join us there. Uh, I'm like sixty forty yes on that ride. Ooh, cool. Join Tawny on his 6040, uh, possibly. And that's a great trail. And just a side note, that is the namesake for the old Crank Brothers dropper post. The seat post trail. The, the seat post trail. referred to in the industry sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's see. So you're going to ride the Hanzo on that, Tawny, or are you going to ride the 5010? Oh, I'll probably ride a Giant. Oh, a Giant. That's right. <laughs> I love it. Anthem X- SX. Yeah, maybe maybe a trance. Maybe a trance. <laughs> <laughs> and then lastly, hey, the the Sunday ride is going on as well. Eight a.m. out of the Tustin Bike Shop Intermediate Ride. This one's going to be at the Santiago Oaks, and a hu- huge kudos. I think there was like something like sixty people that went out and did a lot of trail work out at Santiago Oaks this past Saturday, thanks to Non Dot and some sixty some odd um, uh, 
of volunteers that did a lot of work out there. Uh, I wasn't one of them. Uh, only I, I like to say that I was scouting the trails for the uh, for the trail workers. So I I noted a few spots that needed work. <laughs> Good looking out. <laughs> Trying to do my part. S- supervising. Exactly. <laughs> you miss a spot. Yeah. Good boy, Huck. Ladies and gentlemen, Perry Kramer. <laughs> awesome. So that's about it. Uh, join us on rides, and here we go on the podcast tonight. So this is Tony. I want to talk a little bit about Perry because he's pretty special to the path. He plays a pretty important role for us. And um, I knew I knew of Perry – for many years before I met Perry because when I was a kid growing up around Tustin, California, the PK Ripper was like the iPhone of BMX bikes. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. That's well described. It was well absolutely described. the bike to have and we all knew who PK was. And um, when I got into the bike sh- industry many years later and I heard of this guy named Perry Kramer who was the giant rep, I was like, that's kind of weird, you know? And then <laughs> someone was like, no, that's him. That's that's PK. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> so, you know, BMX Hall of Fame, U.S. Bicycle Hall of Fame, 1979 Pro World Champion, somewhere around 11 Pro wins. <clears throat> National number two in 1976 overall. Should have won. <laughs> oh, I guess that I'm almost over that. Yeah. So Perry, talk a little more down the down straight down the throat of that microphone and tell us how you're almost over that. <laughs> yeah, well <laughs> it came down to the last race and I didn't do as good as I wanted to and my uh, adversary Scott Brighthop beat me and um we ended up to be partners in S E racing. And S E actually is his Scott Enterprises. You know, uh we probably didn't like each other that much for that year but after that year we got to know each other pretty good and we turned out to be very close friends and share some history together he passed away this past this last year and that was a i'm sure he liked you pretty pretty most of that time (laughs) well when we were racing against each other not not as much but when we were together and with se racing was uh it was a good relationship so i'm here to tell you if you are not racing against perry kramer He's a great guy. (laughs) So, you know, he's one of those guys, the receiving guy likes Perry and likes working with him and appreciates the hard work that he puts in. The tech guys feel the same way. The part-timers, after-school, high school kids, they they appreciate the work that he puts in and the respect that he gives and that he remembers their name. And, of course, you know, the management. But the point I'm trying to make is that PK could sit back and live off of his off of his prior accomplishments and take orders. And that would probably work out pretty well for him, but he doesn't. He works hard. He remembers people. He, he deals, he gives people that genuine human interaction that, that, you know, creates a real relationship and, uh, leaves a mark, a good mark. Well, thank you. (laughs) I appreciate it. For sure. And, and one of the things we were just talking a little bit about the show, I, wanted to add is uh, my my first job when I was 16 years old was at a bike shop and it was a giant dealer and I remember hearing about PK at that point as well like I think uh, if you've ever worked in Southern California in any shop at a giant dealer everybody knows about PK <laughs> yeah true legend <clears throat> legend in everything he does well thanks I've been doing it a long time <laughs> I've been I first uh, job well, not the, the first job in the bike industry, but when I first got hooked up with Giant was back in November of 1988. 
and that's when they first came into the into the U.S. And I was living in Venice at the time, and my territory was the Inland Empire, Arizona, and New Mexico. Oh, damn. <laughs> oh wow! I just wanted to get my foot in the door, you know. <laughs> and they even put me through the grinder, like as far as interviews. I had to interview four times before I got the the gig. And when I finally got it, you know, I remember asking the guy, "Go, man, you guys put me through the ringer. How many?" People, you know, were, did I beat out? And he goes, you were the only one that applied. No. <laughs> It'd be a lot different now, let me tell you, when the territory opens up for Giant. But, you know. Well, you've proven a lot more now yeah. about probably your ability to be, you know, ha- have follow through and do do real work type stuff. <laughs> Back then, they just knew you could rip a bike. <laughs> well, the thing, the reason they made me go through all that is because I don't have a, a, a college education. You know, my college education was, you know, the BMX track and the BMX world and then helping starting SE racing from the infancy. And so, <clears throat> you know, the guys that, you know, finally made the decisions were the ones that, like, he doesn't have a college education, but they took a chance on me. So I'm glad they did. I think I think, I think it worked out good. Yeah. yeah. I think you've gotten a few sales awards from Giants and kind of <laughs> employee awards of, from Giants over the years that I've seen. Yeah, they're harder and harder to get now, but, yeah, I've won, I've won some. Uh-huh. Yeah. I've won four, yeah. So four. from 1988? No, no. Okay, so 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 I came on in November of 1988, and then I was with them in the infancy. You know, the early days of like selling iguanas and oh, Sedonas nice. right, and right. Rincons, and when we had all different names for the bikes, that was actually a really really cool time for for Giant. Um, it was actually, you know, you know, the the original sales pitch when I first got on was kind of like, hey, it's the same bike we built for Schwinn, but a hundred bucks less. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it kind of didn't come in as like the big high end bitching bikes, but uh, they're really good. But and, and I was with them till the middle till uh, mid- summer of nineteen ninety five, um, and I actually left to go back with SE Racing, the company that I helped, you know, start with Scott Brighthop back in you know the seventies, and and there was different. Uh, partners in that point, and I went with them for a couple of years, but the uh, partnership dissolved. Another company actually came to me. Uh, Raleigh bought uh, oh. Univega bicycles, and they wanted a rep. You know, they wanted to have separate reps. You know, one guys were selling Raleigh and Ashiki, and they wanted to have separate guys selling Univegas, and so they came to me and made me an offer. I knew I was going to be needing a job. I knew that partnership at SC Racing was going to split, and I took it. And a month later, the guys from Giant called me back and said, "What are you doing?" You know, and, <laughs> and, right. and I go, "Well, I kind of needed a job." And they go, well, "Why don't you rather be selling Giant?" So I left there and came back to Giant. And that was February of 1998, and I've been oh, there ever since. Oh, man. So, oh, wow. so I have many years with Giant. I bleed blue, let me tell yeah. you. <laughs> about, like, about six months before I opened the path. <laughs> yeah. October 98, so. Oh, yeah. Man. Oh, wow. Ten, eight months. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Ten months. So it's interesting you mentioned some of the older Giant product, Perry, and I know we, we've talked and we've heard a lot of talk at Giant about the progression from being kind of a value-oriented proposition only to to building um, more more of a technology technology-driven product, a higher-end product, and it's been it's been a slow, steady, cautious process. But I think that's kind of the been the plan all along, and we're really getting into an interesting time now. Yeah, I I would say probably the last. Gosh, almost 10 years have been a very interesting time at Giant. I mean, it's always been interesting, 
But, you know, Giant's a manufacturer. You know, when you're a manufacturer, like what we were talking about earlier, you want to manufacture. You know, you really don't want to change a lot of things. SE Racing was also a manufacturer. So I kind of know that. And once you have something, you want to just keep making it because it's easy to kind of keep making it. You know, but Giant keeps, you know, they want to push and make new products, but at the same time, they don't want to change everything all the time. Um, you know, really, I, I would say... The early 2000s is really when Giant kind of got on the mountain bike radar. Maestro. No, before, before Maestro, that. we came out with a bike called the NRS, which was no resonance suspension. Basically, no it, sag. No sag, absolutely. So you'd go to dealers and teach them how to not set sag. And they're, <laughs> yeah, well, they're you know, in, in, in the time it was good because you know that was back when you're like I don't want to, I don't want a dual suspension bike that's going to bounce was up and down. It was going to sap all their. Yeah, energy. exactly right. So it, it worked really good, you know. Uh, and that bike put us on the map. You know, and then after a while, you know, we had a little bit of issues because we had a license from another brand. You know, the the uh, the rear suspension, we knew we didn't want to keep it, so we went through a few different transitions. But then when we came out with Maestro, that was two thousand and four, and that really, really put us, you know, in I won't say the driver's seat, but it, it made us a part of the chosen crowd. From the outside looking in, that was when I think serious riders started to look at Giant as maybe. Th- maybe a a leading bike value aside. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, we still, we kind of had two different camps of dealers that would sell it. So you had kind of what I called my old school guys, the guys that have been around forever. Those are the guys that always said, oh yeah, it's like a great deal. Look at you, the value you get with Giant. They always sold it on that because that's kind of how we came into into the bike industry under the giant brand name, when we had the newer, more progressive dealers, they're the ones that said, hey, sh- let's show you how this Maestro suspension works. And that's really when we started doing, let's say, our demo tours. Uh, we had people ride the bikes. We showed the, you know, the techs how to set them up. And then we came out with a few different, you know, a cross country, a trail, and then also the rain, which was kind of like the, the all-mountain type bike. Um, and that, yeah, the, you know, they, they work and we've, since 2004, we really haven't changed that suspension at all and it works. And I'm, I'm really happy that, you know, we're the only one that has that. Absolutely. We are too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good, good. It's been a really good, I mean, we, we've had that at the path, we've had a great relationship with giant and it's, and so it, it's just, you know, whether we're dealing with their warranty department or Perry or the inside sales rep or anyone else, it's always been, you know, the professionalism and the follow through that we need to, to give our customers the service that we want to give. So that's, you know, there's, there's not much more that we're looking for than that. Well, you know, what I say, Tony is, you know, me and some of the other like uh, account executives that have been around for a long time realize Every sale matters, you know, and and that's the main thing or every warranty or every issue that you have with a bike matters because, you know, it's that guy or woman who brings the bike in and if it's not working or if they want to get a bike or if they're going to spend 2000 or 3000 or 800 or $7,000 on a bike, they're stepping up, you know, and so they need to have something good. And so, you know, if they want to get a bike and it's not available, we got to work our butt off to make sure that you can get it. And then once they get it, if something's not right on the bike, we got to make sure that they're happy, you know, because that's what makes people love cycling. Right. And Perry, Perry is not just BSing you. This will actually be your real experience if you meet him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with a big old smile. 
and he'll probably <laughs> take you on a great trail and cuddle your legs off or or, or, or that, scare but... you with some shredding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you. You know, and, and that's one of the things we've talked about before in choosing bike brands and stuff like that. And especially, I think it's a, a thought definitely that Ak and I have in in buying bikes is, is there good support to the shop? Because what happens if you crack the frame and, you know, you don't want to be down for six months or something like that. And you definitely some brands, you get those, you know, those horror stories kind of make their way around. And, and, uh, yeah, like a brand like Giant and having a good sales rep behind the shop that takes care of the warranties. Like that's, that's super great. And it's just something to remember when, when picking a a shop and a brand. Well, and things like continuity of service parts, you know, where you might have, you know, might not have like 20 million derailleur hanger SKUs. And so forth, you know. Well, well and, and also the support of the the bike community. You know, <clears throat> virtually every race that I go out to, uh, whether it be over the hump or or some of these the non dot races, um, six hour that uh, Perry's going to be racing racing here in a little bit. My uh, stupid single speed. <laughs> <laughs> we got to hear more about that. Thing. Yeah, Perry's got a sweet sweet single speed yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is a beauty and, and perry's there so i mean like supporting the community uh it's not just something that that is a giant sales uh, sales pitch it's something that that perry actually backs up absolutely so before we i want to i want to talk more about perry's single speed but i want to make sure that we get some talk about the bus and the bmx days and the craziness <laughs> so at perry's Perry, Perry, one time what we were in Colorado and you told me about when the bus broke down and kind of – you set up the story. You told, me about, you told me about what the bus was and everything. I'd love to hear that again. <laughs> okay. Well, so I'll give you everybody a little bit of background. You know, before SE really started, uh, you know, back in the late 70s, uh, Scott Breithop, he uh, – we went on tour in 1976. I went with a guy who put on the National Bicycle Association and Scott was – having a team for FMF, and we went on tour. And that's really when I got to know him. Well, the next year, he buys this old international bus, right? And he figures, oh, this thing's going to be good, and I can you know, sell you know, spaces to all these riders. And a lot of like big-name riders, Stu Thompson, who was riding for SE, Jeff Utterback, Kevin McNeil went on it, Eddie King went on it, Bob Haro was a racer at the time. He went on that bus. And I was slated to go on the bus. Um, we took like a, a not I wouldn't say a practice ride, but like you know a, a try. We, there was a race in Northern California, so I went with them on the bus to, to Northern California. <laughs> that thing broke down a couple of times. I'm like, I'm not going on this bus. So I didn't. I, I actually didn't go on the, on that that tour. But so it thing broke down a bunch of times, and there's a bunch of stories on it. And then that thing sat there, and then I got I left Mongoose. I got on SC Racing 78. That thing sat there behind our uh, warehouse for four years years oh, and the team was getting bigger there was some money coming into sc racing we wanted to do this huge tour in 1982 i was kind of doing things kind of off on my own but i was still part of the team but they want to do this huge team thing and all of a sudden they get this great idea hey let's fix up the bus right so you know i mean i was on tour actually when this when this was happening because I, I had my own tour set up with one of the magazines bmx plus and I come back and these guys have already like done the outside of the bus. I mean, the outside of the bus looked bitching. It was all camouflage painted. Uh, there was rack up on top. They had a big box on top where you put the stuff. They put like a big PVC pipe. It was like a gun turret. You know, I mean, it, it was just awesome. The inside, we made these, you know, chairs that turned into a bed or whatever, you know, and we kind of fixed up the motor. 
So it's like it looked big. Oh, like once you got to the track, it was awesome, you know. And I remember even when we took like the, we finally finished it. And we were getting ready to go on tour, and uh, you know, so we do this photo shoot with uh, Bicycle Motocross Action Bob Osborne, who was like you know the the wizard of uh, you know photography, and he does this bitching photo shoot of us going down the freeway, and it broke down a few times even just on that little. Thing. <laughs> oh, so we man. go back and fix it. We leave to go on this tour, and the first race is going to be the Murray World Cup, and it was like in a week from when we were leaving. We're like, oh, no problem. We got a whole week to make it a Tennessee. <laughs> right. That's no problem. And, you know, you, you, when you're driving stuff all the time, you make that in a day and, you know, three quarters or whatever, you know. It didn't happen like that for this bus. So who's <laughs> fixing the bus when it breaks down? Okay, so I I was on the uh, the fan belt. That was my. You're the belt guy. I'm the belt guy. Uh, another guy, Todd Huffman. I think he did like the hose. You know, he did the hoses. <laughs> Dwayne Ballinger. He was probably the most me- car mechanically inclined. So he did like the carburetor <laughs> stuff that really needed. And then the cooling system. It had this kind of fire extinguisher thing that kind of put pressure into to to cool it down. And, and we worked that. So everybody had our jobs, and we had a bunch of other guys that were just ready if they. Needed needed a ride to town they rode to town and get and got the parts and that thing broke down so many times and i just remember once you know we're going there and it's getting apparent we're not going to make to this race and it, the, the pro race wasn't until like later but the the amateurs raced earlier in the week and some of our amateurs had to like split once a few of them split they got in like you know flagstaff arizona and they went and a few others made made it to texas and they get on a greyhound or something a great or, or a plane or whatever just to just to get over there and we had just the 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 <laughs> the few that were you know going all the way to that you know the mechanics to make it and I remember just you know sitting there, and and we broke down in Arkansas, and the race is the next day, and I'm just going, this <laughs> no. sucks, you know. <laughs> and I'm just like, before that, you had been kind of traveling in relative luxury, correct? I, I never traveled in real luxury, Tawny, but it relative was, to the it bus, was, it was relative to the bus. Yeah, we had a '77 van that also had issues. It was '82 at that time, so it was only five years old. But regardless, you know, yes, it was much better than the bus. And I just remember. I'm going underneath, and by that time, the hose guy split, so I'm doing the hose and the belts, and, and I had this one hose blows out, and it had, like, one side was larger than the other. It was like this S thing. It's like, you can't find this thing anywhere, and I'm underneath, the underneath. I'm trying to wrap, like, a bicycle inner tubes around this thing, because we found the large hose that we kind of could make work, and I'm trying to tighten this thing down, and all of a sudden, it starts raining, and I'm just lying there on the ground. Rain's coming in in my eyes. I'm like... Damn, dude. <laughs> oh, BMX racers are prima donnas. <laughs> they are. The new ones probably are. We, we went through some stuff to do it. You know, now I look back, it's one of the best times of my life. But back then, it was just like, I'm thinking of like all these, my, uh, my guys that I'm going to have to race against the next day that are, ra- you know, that are <laughs> practicing, practicing the track. Oh, yeah. They already have a hotel with a, you know, a, a shower and a bed and everything. And we're just like, you know, just, we made it there, you know, but it was, uh, <laughs> It was interesting, (laughs) (laughs) the bus stories. But let me tell you, though, when that bus rolled up, that thing was awesome. You know, I mean, when you're there, it's like the – it was – it was the place to be because the show was on. The show was on. We had this big rack up at the top. Everybody wanted to pitch their uh, chairs up on top. Yeah, I'm looking at it. that's it right there. Ox looking at it right there. Oh, that's man. it. That's it. The International Harvester, you know, SE bus. Yeah, I, I think the current industry, the mountain bike industry, should take note. I think that there should be a team that tours with as, yeah. as a team. 
and, and, and when they get there, the show is on. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I would suggest maybe put a little bit more time and effort into the you know mechanical side of it before you <laughs> pitch it. But if you look at it from that photo right there. Oh, you man, know, this it, thing it, is amazing. It was awesome. One of the best bus stories I'll go on before we move on to something else is we at the end of 82, there was the, the world championships have moved from Indianapolis to Las Vegas. So we drive it with the whole team. We drive it to Las Vegas, and it makes it all the way there with that breaking down. And we're like, <laughs> yes! I mean, it was, that was like the major victory, oh, you know? Man. So uh, Scott Brightup, you know, the main guy of SE, he's like, you know, he always was like driving the, the his vans or whatever. You know, anytime there was a thing, oh, let's jump the van, let's do anything. So we're pulling into the Tropicana Hotel, right? And he, he wants to like jump the bus going into it because there's like this little, you know, dip going <laughs> no, into it. So everyone's, oh, yeah, jump the bus, right? So he jumps. He, it didn't get any air, but it was like, you know, we were all thinking that we, we did. And there's this overhang right in front of like where you drive in the, in the, into the thing. So he's like, yeah, we're driving in. There's these people. They see, oh, there's the SE bus. Oh, we hit this overhang. overhang. We break the overhang of the Tropicana Hotel. Bikes flying out everywhere. We're like all of a sudden eflation to, you know, (laughs) to to delation, you know, or elation to deflation. It was like, oh my gosh. It went from us being so stoked to what just happened. You think that created some good publicity for the brand? uh, I bet you sold some bikes. It it probably did, but what it didn't do was create good publicity to the guys that were in the Tropicana Hotel. So these guys run out. Like, you know, and back yeah. then it was kind of almost like mafioso dudes. They come running out. <laughs> they probably were. Yeah, they were. Just, yeah, they probably were. And they start, you're, they're yelling at, at Scott. Me and my teammate Rod Becker and Bubba Hayes were sitting there going, oh my gosh, I'm glad that wasn't me that was driving it. <laughs> and all of a sudden, check this out though. This is why, this is what was, Scott brought up, he, he had his faults, but he was brilliant. He looks around <laughs> and all of a sudden they're yelling at him. Everyone's like mortified, and he goes, "Why are you yelling at me? There's no overhead. There's no caution overhead sign. There was no like you know, fifteen, sixteen feet." He looks around. He got those guys like that. Next thing you know, they're like, "Oh, we're sorry, we're sorry." And, and, and I'm, I'm sitting there with my teammates going, "How did that just happen? It was unbelievable. I mean, that was one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen in my whole life." And that was with full the bus. Jedi mind trick. Yeah. <laughs> he did. He just he he turned it, and he could do that too. When we were starting SE, I can go on forever. I won't, you but I mean, go no, go for it. Well, <laughs> you know, because that's what I, that's my first job in right. the bike industry was right. at SE Racing because I was a mongoose factory racer. I wanted to race and work for mongoose. The guy who owned mongoose, the original guy, Skip Hess, he said, "No, I just want you to be a racer." Okay. I was, you know, I was going to turn seventeen. I needed to make some money, right? You know, and uh, and anyhow, so I remember telling that to Scott. And he goes, "Dude, come on to my team." I got Stu Thompson. I got Jeff Otterback. I'll bring you on. You can, you know, you can help me start this thing. I'll employ you, oh, you know. Man. And uh, and then I did it. And then when I did, I thought, "Well, I'm an idiot because Essie <laughs> had no money. Mongoose had all the money." But anyhow, <laughs> I kind of learned learned that. But so while I'm learning this, I mean, I kind of now I can talk to people. I know how to do stuff. Back then, I was going, kind of, uh, bah, 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 you know, <laughs> standard call, nineteen year old. I wasn't even nineteen. I was seventeen or eighteen or whatever. Yeah. But I still, you know, didn't have the confidence to talk that properly, you know. And and I'd see Scott, you know. And, and he would promise everything, and you know, we didn't have anything, you know. And oh yeah, sure, he would take orders, but never ship it, you know. And people would be pissed off. Why didn't you send me my stuff? And oh, and then I, and by the end of that conversation, he'd have another order sheet filled. That up was with part stuff. of the allure, though. You couldn't get ones out. Yeah, well, there was, but you know, back then. So anyhow, I kind of learned. I, I I learned a lot from him, and that was, you know, he he turned things around. But that was the ultimate job of turning somebody around was when you break the freaking <laughs> Tropicana <laughs> Hotel, and you have the hotel. 
You got good fellows running out at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly right. <laughs> and then you, grow, you grow together in business. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was. It was. So awesome. before that, you were there was a period, I guess, where you were kind of touring for local purses and. Well, okay, so basically, I kind of grew up with BMX. You know, I wasn't in the first wave of BMX with like John Paul from it and Dave Clinton and all those guys, but I was kind of the second wave. You know, I started at the beginning of 1974, uh, Palms Park BMX, which is. And you were instrumental in getting that built from what I understand? No, 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 I was not. No, I was just a kid that was sitting on a street corner, and lucky enough, the guy who ran the race came by. We're before like junior high, smoking cigarettes, thinking we're tough, and he, you know, said, hey, you guys race those things. like yeah we got a little like track right down the street he goes no really if you got an organized race we're like oh no you know and he (laughs) challenged us to go up and we went and we rode up there on a thursday night and that was palms park that was one of the first ever tracks uh racing there anyhow so i kind of i got on with that you know towards the end of that year i got on one of the big teams which was dirt master back then you had like rick's bike shop that was like the badass team Mm -hmm. uh dirt master was a good team and i was like stoked to get on it uh, Peddlers West, Canoga Cycle Center. Those were Manny's. They had another bike shop, Manny's Cyclery. He ran this race that had this big mud hole, and everyone, a lot of guys crashing. So they named his team Manny's Mud Suckers. And, <laughs> you know, it was it was a cool time. But anyhow, so you know, uh, pro racing really didn't start till about 1977. But I was one of the first. You know, oh, they're nice. they they're like the the first like 16 guys that are in the pro class, and I'm one of them. So. So I kind of I, I I grew up with it then, but I kind of wanted to get on a major team. The Dirt Master thing kind of blew up. I didn't have a major sponsor in '75, and then in '76, the guy who ran the race, Ernie Alexander, sponsored myself and another guy, Ted Gilmetti, and it was really cool. We got like frames from Mongoose and parts from Shimano, you know, and and he ran the major races and he took us to all the races, and it was cool because. What he did, he was opening a bunch of tracks. I mean, his business was just blossoming at the time. And what he would do is, you know, we would go race Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday twice on Saturday, twice on Sunday. Well, sometimes oh, wow. on Friday night, he'd like, you know, go to Modesto for a race on Saturday for a track he was opening up. And then on Sunday, he'd go down to San Diego. So he kind of had his group of guys that, you know, I guess he would call them like his traveling all-stars. I was one of them. Bobby Encinas was one. Ted Gilmetti, Billy Wuda, Neil Bonds, John George went on some of them. But I mean, that was kind of like, he would take us around and then we'd show up, you know, he's like, hey, you better kick these guys' ass, you know. There was so, always uh, some uh, local hotshot trying oh, to Oh, there was always fast guys, dude. You'd go to Northern California, they were fast. you go to San Diego, those guys were really fast. You guys had to be on every night of the week. And they were, and that was their tracks, you know. So so we would do that, you know. And, and then later on, that that, that sponsorship that he had with me, Mongoose, he er, that summer Ernie had his tour, and I went on it. And Skip, who owned Mongoose, you know, uh, put me on it. I was actually the first ever rider on Mongoose. His wife Liz, at the time, she went and got me two of these like soccer jerseys with like you know short sleeves <laughs> and a V neck, and right. and she just had my name like you know put on and BMX products awesome. on the back, you know. And then when we actually, it was in the fall nationals of 1976 that they, the official team, and it was myself, uh, Neil Bonds, and Tinker Juarez. That was that was wow. the team. That was the first team, 
you know, and I won and Tinker got second. I have this ad. It's really cool. I even mean, have the picture. I'll show you. But it's like, you know, I won. It's Tinker and I, you know. <laughs> you know, awesome. back then it was kind of okay. I mean, Tinker. Now it's like Tinker's like this huge yeah. freaking mega international world star, you know. So I'm like, yeah, see, I kicked his ass before. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he was a good PMXer. He was really good, you know, and uh, he's a great mountain biker, obviously. But it was cool to be his teammate. So anyhow, that was that was kind of, you know, I had was on the first big team, you know. So Yeah, fun stuff. That was cool. in history, history, yeah, you know, lots of us would have loved to be a fly on the wall for some of that stuff, and for sure, yeah. it was cool. I mean, it was a big prop, you know, you right place at the right time and make sure you don't screw it up, you know. But it was good, man. I had that opportunity, and you know, I locked onto it, and that you know, that helped me a lot. I'm happy that I have that background. You know, uh, I think. A lot of us, I mean, obviously I wasn't around in that time, but can you kind of describe how BM, like kind of the general public opinion of BMX racing at the time? Because it seems to me like it might have been a, a lot more popular even amongst the general public at that time. Well, it was weird because it, it first started out, I mean, you know, when I got into it, Nathan, it was, we had Schwinn Sting raising, we're like welding crossbars on our handlebars and putting a <laughs> right. fat tire on the front, and we would get like a plastic, tr- you know, rubberish trash can. We cut it, and make fenders out of that thing. You know, it was it was a cool time, um, and every kid wanted to get into it. Every kid wanted to get into it. it was like you know, and then th- these tracks, you know, there was a few tracks that 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 were going on. And then all of a sudden it started kind of getting organized, and then they had this big uh, race series called the Yamaha Gold Cup, and that kind of put things on the map they had a big race in la one in northern california one in san diego and you had to like qualify and then they had the the finals was at the la coliseum at the end of the summer oh, you man. know in 90s and larry huffman was the announcer it was awesome oh, you know they only had three classes you did in your height your your age and your weight you know so uh i was 14 at the time so i actually got to race in the junior class because i was just you know so high and and i was light enough to to do that you know, so, uh, but that, that put things on the map. And then after that track started opening up and BMX just grew like wildfire. And it was really cool because there wasn't a lot of complete bikes. It was all, there was a bunch of frames and there was parts, handlebars, wheels, stems, different saddles, different pedals. Every bike was custom. Every bike was different. And that's why I think you have such a big mountain bike contingent right now. Cause everybody, I'm, I'm 56 now. And, you know, so anybody from like, you know, 60 to let's say 35 kind of had some BMX or maybe I'm, you know, 60 to 45, let's say, but they know chromoly on the crank is important. You know, they know to have like, you know, chromoly (laughs) shaft on the pedal, you know, I mean, to have your brakes actually work, you know, they know how a hub works. So, I mean, it was, it was a really cool time, but yes, it, it got really big and a lot of tracks opened up, you know, um, the major detract from it was the fact that as soon as it got popular, guys got in it for the money, mm-hmm. and then tracks started running against other tracks, and that that really put a damper on BMX, and then it kind of got expensive. But it was it was really one of the first alternative sports. It had a good parallel at the same time. The skateboard dudes were getting yeah. really popular, you know, because it was, you know, like, you know, motocross turned into BMX, surfing turned into skating. So a lot of guys that couldn't go surfing all the time were skating. Right. The town I grew up in, Santa Monica, was also very, you know, uh, popular for skateboarding. You know, they had Jeff Ho surfboards, the Zephyr team, Z-Boys, you know, that was all in the same team, same town, Dogtown, Santa Monica, yeah. you know. So, I mean, that, that was going on 
a lot of the same time. So, yeah, I mean that that's kind of the when you were talking about these days, I was thinking about the you know I've seen the documentary about Dogtown and and that day it, it just seemed like these sports were just kind of totally in their infancy and just blowing up at the same time. This has been a really exciting time. It's like the genesis of action sports. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It, it, it really was, and it had a lot of parallels. In fact, when they did Dogtown and Z-Boys, one of the guys they should have given some credit to, but they didn't, was Johnny Palferman. He was a badass BMXer. But he was also a good surfer and he could skate. But he'd go to a lot, you know, hang out with a lot of those dudes and go to the, ride a lot of those pools himself, Tom Lund, you know. And he didn't get any run in that movie. And it was kind of a bummer. But, you know, I mean, I remember, you know, hearing Johnny go, dude, we rode the keyhole, you know. And then we'd go check it out, you know. And then, you know, we'd go and if you could get, like, you know, get on the coping and hit the tile and stuff, like, you know, carve it around. Yeah, right. So and, you, you've ridden some pool in your day? I rode some pools and I also rode some early skate parks, like the Runway Skate Park, Reseda Skate nice. Across, you know, uh, yeah. the Marina. Uh, I, I grew up in Santa Monica, so the Marina Skate Park was a big one, the Coffin Bowl and all those ones. We rode those. Do you know ever know anyone who rode the Tribuco pool just up the street from here? Do you remember that one? Or, I probably know somebody, but I don't remember pretty, them telling me about it. It just yeah. got filled in recently, but there was a bunch of graffiti, and it was really, it was actually pretty good for BMX. I saw some BMX, you know, air four yeah. feet out of the coping and stuff. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. You know, just just one more quick question, kind of about these early days, and you might have hinted on it just a little bit in that in that skateboarding came out of surfing, and BMX came out of uh, motocross. It sounds like the early days of BMX had a more racing origin. Whereas uh, now we see kind of a separation between like dirt jump and park and vert and racing. It's like very, somewhat really separate now. But it's not, I guess in the early days, was it really more focused around the racing? Well, everything, yes, it was, Nathan. I mean, so it basically, like if you're to compete, you had to race, you know. Mm. Uh, that was the only way that you measure stuff. But we always went out to trails, man. We rode stuff, you know, and then after like some of the some of the races, especially like the Sunday races were always like at a downhill track. And then we'd go up the, you know, drive to the top of some big ass fire road and then come, you know, just racing <laughs> down awesome. all of us, <laughs> you know. Right. We've already raced and then we'd go up there. You know, and then freaking, you know, <laughs> race down and stuff like that. You know, so 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 that was that was really cool. You know, I mean, what happened? BMX kind of splintered in the early '80s because what happened was freestyle turned into its own separate sport, and it took a lot of talent away from the racetrack because. First of all, you didn't really have to pay. Once you bought your bike and everything, other than just fixing your bike and replacing the parts that you broke. You didn't have to pay any entry fee. You didn't have to compete against anybody. And a lot of kids don't want to compete against people. They just want to ride. You know, it's cool, you know? Well, and I think a lot of these people got into BMX in the first place because they didn't fit in in that team sports, ball sports, straight competition environment. Yeah, absolutely. It was good. Either that or they didn't have any interest. Like, Like, I played some football and, you know, but I didn't play any Little League baseball you know, my parents weren't into taking me out. They didn't really want to take me out to the BMX track, neither. I kind of – we rode to Palms Park, and then there was this, the, <laughs> you know, uh, John Paul from the, the family. They had four brothers. I hung around with the, with his younger brother, Peter, you know. So after a while, I'd, like, go out to the races with them, you oh, know. Great. But there were some families that, that went out there. But it was, you know, pretty soon BMX was 
was just a big family. But like say the freestyle guys, they came out and then that kind of splintered a lot of guys out. And next thing you know, a lot of guys, like even myself, like in the early 80s, I got a job, um, Mountain Dew, that was one of the first action sports. You <laughs> yeah, know, for yeah. sure. They had the yeah. Mountain Dew BMX All-Stars and I was like, you know, one of the captains on it. They wanted to bring a bunch of guys on, but it got, after a while it just whittled down to to Ted Gilmetti, Jeff Botima, and myself. And we put on like, schools that you know we went to actual schools and taught safety things and i was making 125 150 bucks a day you know that was like guaranteed money right. you know yeah, at that great. point i'm like 20 yeah. years old and i need the money you right. know so <laughs> you know it's it's easy to kind of get sucked into that and those are 70 dollars those were actually 80 80 dollars, dollars, really 80, 80 80s, ones yeah. they're yeah. still yeah <laughs> they meant something yeah definitely <laughs> sure. yeah yeah it's almost uh, the way i picture it it's almost like the outcasts were having so much fun that everyone else decided they wanted to join them. It's, that's a good analogy to look at it because you had, you know, there was, I mean, it, racing was always hard. You always had to ride hard. You had to get out strong. You had to, there was always elbows thrown. There's a lot of guys taking people out. You know, when you hit the early 80s, it really turned into really regimented training. You know, mm-hmm. and at that point, it was also you're racing for your like. If, if you didn't make the main, you didn't make any money, and you may not be able to pay your rent or something like that. At least that was my. I wasn't living at home, right. you know, at that point. You know, so so that it took a little bit of the fun away from me. You know, so I mean, pretty much by in the end of '83, I just like I'm done. You know, I was kind of you know uh, out of it. But it, I think that's a good analogy. To some of the guys that say, "Hey, I want to have fun riding the bikes." That's how we all got into it. We started out, uh, you know, it started out as kind. Kind of an, you know, uh, a, an alternative behavior. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and you just challenge yourself. But I remember the first time we rode to Palms Park. You know, my buddy Owen Evenson, Lee Thomas, Brian Tanella, we rode up there. You know, I, I don't know if anybody even made the main. I know I didn't. I got two fourths in my moto. You know, and and it was just like we would have liked to have won, but it wasn't like we were disappointed that we didn't win. We were just stoked just to be going out. They were like, we're riding back here again. We couldn't wait for Thursday to come again, you know, to, to go out there. It was go awesome. Pete and ride your bike. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Have fun with your friends. Yeah. And then we got a ride bike home. It was like, it was like you know, probably 10 miles from where I lived, you know, on a Thursday night. I'm 14 years old. On a 20-inch? That, yeah, that doesn't happen nowadays, you know. 14-year-olds yeah. are not so, like yeah. driving, riding Trying 10 miles. Trying to put that in perspective, that's like riding to the beach from Tustin. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. a ways, man. Yeah. And racing. Yeah. I remember when I did and that. It's through, back. It's, it's through West LA too, so there's some cars that go through there. Yeah, you know? I remember sure. when I rode 10 miles on my BMX when I was a teenager. <laughs> I thought I won the world championship right there. <laughs> yeah, but that's all we did. You know, 10 miles was nothing. Yeah. <laughs> did you race after you rode your 10 miles, Tony? No, I, I went home and sat on the couch and told my mom how awesome it was. <laughs> so when did you ride your first mountain bike, Perry? So I well, I raced. My first mountain bike race was in 1982. Brian Skinner put on races, and the race I raced was uh, down Mount Wilson. Great. Yeah. Oh, dang. Yeah, it was awesome. And I actually did it on a 24-inch Flovo Flyer, and all I did was put, like, a heavy gear on it, and I put fat tires front and rear, and I rode with my full, like, BMX stuff and full-face helmet, uh, and... I remember my time was like 21 minutes or something like that, and I got I, I, I lost by two seconds. 
<laughs> I'm almost oh, yeah. over that one too. <laughs> Takai Sharp, you know, I just remember one part of that race. It was awesome because I, I mean, I, you know, like in every downhill race, I crashed. I'm sure everyone crashed once or twice, but I, I was going down and I made this one. I missed a turn. Next thing I know, I'm in the middle of this park. And I'm like, what the heck, you know? And there's literally there's like families like pushing their kids <laughs> on swings, having a picnic, and I'm like, oh, and I've got my full SE gear on, right. and also I see the trails up there, and I like get off and because I had a hard gear, I, I'm running through and these people are like looking at me what the hell you know so i get back on the trail i'm going going around another couple of turns i come around turn there's two rangers on horseback they're like stop stop i'm like no dude i'm racing i went right right around you, know? <laughs> oh, <nice. laughs> you can chase me yeah i knew that you know so they were it, it, it was that was pretty fun but we i raced some of the early i raced that race and then um I have this bike and I still have it now. It's not all put together, but this guy named Bob Wilson, he had a shop right up from where SE Racing was called Sweetheart Cycles, and he made a mountain bike. He was, you know, called a Moto Cruiser, and and down the down to we called it says Fire Road Flyer, and he made this bike and he gave one to me and one to this other guy, and I actually raced a race in. Uh, uh, on the other side of Ortega Highway, not not on the on the side oh, of the candy the store, not oh, not, right, right, not right. where the, not where the candy store trail, but on the the the, the south side, you know. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. And I got my ass kicked on it. And it was like I remember, you know, I had like a forty two front chain ring and it's six gears, and I'm like in in. I'm like, I don't need any more gears than this, you know? And all of a sudden, I started going to some of those hills. I'm like, oh, yes, I do. (laughs) But I did one of those races, and I still have that bike. And that company, actually, that guy, Bob Wilson, teamed up with John Parker, and John Parker turned that company from Moto Cruiser to Yeti. So that's actually probably the first or one of the first Yetis. I have it hanging up in my garage. So, yeah, it's it's cool. And then I – so I raced that race, but most of the races we did were like Brian Skinner and – Who's the other guy? Victor Viceni of America, VVA. Mm-hmm. And he ran races like uh, in Malibu, Puerto Canyon. So I raced Puerto Canyon quite a few times downhill. And that's when they had like an uphill race and then they had a downhill race. Nice. And yeah. And but like, you know, some of my old BMX buddies, Byron Friday, David Clinton, Robbie Roop. Uh, these were guys, you know, some of the guys that I raced against, they kind of transitioned over into mountain bikes, you know, so, so, so a lot I, of BMX to mountain bike transitions. There was, I, I mean, I didn't make it stick because then most of the racings went into cross country and I was kind of over like having to train and everything. I, <laughs> I actually got into another sport that I had to train. I raced, uh, outrigger canoes for six years. Oh, damn. Oh, I awesome. did not know really? that. Yeah. But that's because I lived in like Venice at that time right. and that's, you know, you're right by the beach and I had a lot of friends doing that, you know, but I did race some mountain bike races, you know. Uh, while I while I was doing that, but uh, yeah, I raced some of the some of the early races. They were good ones. And you still ride quite a bit. I ride more now because you know working for Giant, we sell some you know badass bikes. Yeah, pretty so. serious riding culture at Giant. Really serious riding. Tell culture. us about some of the Giant group rides. Well, okay, so whenever we go to a, a sales meeting, which we have one coming up in a few weeks, and there's always a few really good group group rides, and they they set it up either a road bike or a mountain bike ride. And you have some haunch riders. I mean, there's oh some, yeah, Honey Badger. There's so oh yeah, oh Honey Badger. He goes good. He's a demo driver. But even some of the account executives, you know, like we got this guy 
Paul LaCava up in Oregon. He's like, they have the legend of LaCava, or we have another guy, Eric Pirtle, that does like, I think like St. Louis or, you know, all that, that Indiana area. They're, they, they can motor, man. Those guys, yes, you know, go for it. Brian Sheedy is another, another rider. Mike Stewart's a guy, you know, that's a long time rider, you know. So there's, there's some competition. It's like, well, even, a- even the top brass, I mean, I've ridden with some of the top brass that's there and some of the, you know, oh, people they- who are no longer there, but everyone rides. Everyone pretty, rides, pretty you serious. know. Well, and that's the thing that people don't necessarily understand about Giant. I mean, you know, sometimes people have this image of Giant, like we're this manufacturer with these big, huge smokestacks polluting the air, just <laughs> spitting out bikes. But that's not necessarily what it is. I mean, we do manufacture bikes, you know, in probably one of the cleanest factories of all of them over there, and that's literally no lie. But the culture that we have at Giant USA is really about riding and, you know, celebrating your riding, making time. There's there's good balance. If you ever look at the the logo of Giant, to the head tube of Giant, it's like a big circle, and it kind of has this yin yin yang type look to it. I'm looking at it. Right We're now. looking at your hat. Okay, so yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. So you're looking at it right now. So basically, the circle is is the world. Uh, you have the balance, kind of the the play on the yin and the yang with that G. You have that movement that goes through it is kind of an abstract G for Giant. Mm. That kind of you know celebrates yeah. the pathways that you go through life. But, you know, the yin and yang is about balance. So they say, yes, everybody needs to work to live, but you also have to have balance to your life. Even the chairman, the owner of Giant, King Lou, he's 82 years old. Is okay. that Tony? Is that no, no? It's King. His name's King Lou. Okay. You know, and uh, to- is Tony it, related to him? No, Tony is Tony's basically his uh, right hand man. Okay. You know, Tony makes a lot of the decisions. King owns the company. Got it. King's been manufacturing since 1972. You know, so he's got what 46 years now, or 44 years now. And but in the last almost 10 years, he's taken upon himself to kind of like his make it his life's work to teach people about how cycling can truly enhance your life. I mean, he's done a tour of China, Taiwan. He's in parts of Japan. I mean, he does these – he rides to work. Now, he's 82 years old, so he has like a car following and stuff like that now, <laughs> you know, to do it. But, I mean, he is truly about like, you know, showing cycling to people. Everybody that's at Giant, all of our regional managers, you know – it's imperative that you ride a bicycle at Giant. Wow. You know, you don't need to be the fastest, you know, man or woman on a bike. You just need to like appreciate and have a love for cycling because really, I mean, I, I use you as an example. You're a successful store, very successful store, but you love cycling. I mean, I remember going riding with you and we're just like, just giggling like, you know, schoolgirls <laughs> and having a good time. Right. We believe in that same balance at the path where we believe that if we stop loving the bikes we ride, that, that we really don't have any business there. Exactly. That's kind of one of the reasons I kind of got out of racing professional bikes, actually, because it would turn too, too professional. And mm-hmm. It's almost like it takes a little bit of the fun out of it, you know. You know, some of the rides that we've done, you know, I know I've ridden with all of you, you know, and it's just like, yeah. you know, some of the times that you're sitting up there just looking at, you know, just like some, like, dew dripping off of a leaf and you see, like, the sun <laughs> rays coming through a sh- cloud in the background, you're like, 
oh god this is like heaven. when you've got <laughs> you the endorphins going from the bike ride yeah exactly. that makes all that stuff magical yeah. so that's very important at giant i mean and then thursday nights they you know they don't necessarily have it right now but they may but i know during the spring and the summertime they have what they call the beer loop and it's a pretty challenging ride and so uh, the newbie the first one on the ride he has to carry the backpack with all the beer you know so you you climb up this like grinder of a hill and then you get to the top and everyone sucks down a beer and then you rip down space mountain this trail that you have right there and then you can kind of go on to do extra credit but it's a it's a it's a culture at giant um and i have not seen it yet but i'm going to see it see it in a few weeks uh they just remodeled the offices and they just put in a they've always had showers but now they have like major showers where like <laughs> you're like we could all go riding go in you know everyone could have their own shower and wouldn't be weird would it be yeah, weird? Yeah, right? it's like, it's like, you know, yeah. Not all around a common. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That sounded funny, but you know, it would be private. But no, at I mean, any that's, rate, how, that's how awesome the facility is. Yeah, right? exactly. It's, it's, it's made with cycling in mind. And that's, that's the culture at Giant, you know. And, and every bike that comes out now, you know, shows homage to, pays homage to the culture because, right. you know, a lot of them have all their different, uh, you know, categories or their different purposes, you know. So. I'm stoked. I'm I'm I've I'm blessed and lucky freaking to, to be of hooked up with the giant family. You know, I'm I'm really happy, you know, to be with them. And you see that when Perry walks in the door, he's always got a big smile for everybody. <laughs> and he's always he's loving life. He loves he loves riding. He loves his dealers. He loves he loves the bikes. <laughs> Some more than others. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but most of them, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so right now you've got two two mountain bikes and a road bike? Is that right? Me? Yeah, your personal steeds right now? Um, I probably have a few more than that. I have – well, I have a road that bike. That I know of. <laughs> yeah, you know, like like we make three major type of road bikes. You know, two of them are race bikes and one of them can be raced, but it's more of a like cl- classified as a, I guess, a performance endurance bike, the Defy. And that's what I have, the Defy Advanced SL. Mm-hmm. That bike fits me better. It's a little bit lower geared, you know. I'm, you know, I mean, I would go out and hammer with guys on bikes, but I'm not like looking to like race six times a year on my road bike. Um, but I really love riding that bike. It's awesome. It's, you know, got one of our, you know, the advanced SL frame with the integrated seat post and the T800, you know, carbon fiber. It has, you know, hydraulic disc brakes. It has you know, the geometry on that bike is just so comfortable. Very smooth ride. It's a very, very it, yeah, it's a very smooth ride. We very also have innovative. Yeah. Light. One yeah. of the first hydraulic disc brake bikes. Yeah, absolutely. And then my mountain bikes, um, I have an Anthem and I have a Trance. Excuse me. Both of them are 27.5 wheels and they're – my Anthem is set up – you know, we make a bike called the Anthem SX. Most of my bikes are kind of like just frame I built up, you know, but uh, it's built up a lot like an Anthem SX with a little bit longer fork. So that's the one if I race – like a cross country race that I'll race on. So for those who are not familiar with the giant line, um, giant makes SX bikes, which are the same as the regular bikes, but with longer forks and, and more trail style part specs, bigger tires, sometimes one by dropper seat posts, dropper seat. Posts. Yeah, exactly. There, it's, it's made to that bike's made to go fast, but if you have to go over a rock garden, you could do it, you know, with confidence. I've spent a lot of time on that Anthem SX, absolute yeah. ripping climber and a really fun descender. Yeah. It's just a super, super fun bike. And then I have a trance and my trance is also a trance SX. And that bike is, you know, like a hundred, you know, five and a half inches of travel in the rear. The fork is either 140 or 160 millimeters. You've got that dual position bike on there. 
Uh, it's a uh, mine's a rock shot. I mean, mine's a um, talus, a talus fox fork. But yeah, dual, yeah, yeah, dual, dual position, and and that's a that's a fun bike. And then I have this single speed, which is a, a XTC advanced twenty nine inch wheel that I we don't really make a stock twenty uh, uh, single speed, but I made it. I put a you know gear what do you call it singulator whatever it's, yeah it's a yeah. chain tensioner that chain tensioner yeah. mounts where the derailleur uh, on the derailleur hanging yeah. on the bike and tensions the chain yeah so the, so i have that bike and i'm putting some time into that because i'm going to race i'm gonna get you to put one of those white industries you know hubs on there and ditch that <laughs> tiny bit of drag from the, from the wheel there <laughs> okay nice. so yeah so, so that's a sweet that. ride yeah it, but i tell you what some of my Rigid fun- carbon fork on there it's a rigid. What, yeah, there what is, does it weigh? Eighteen and a half pounds. Eighteen and three quarter Ooh, pounds. Dang, yeah, like nice, I said, it's like a road dang. bike. Actually, you know, I mean, that thing is like you know, it's it's when you get that bike and the when when you're going uphill and the, that gear just kicks into the right gear, that thing flies. I yeah. mean, it's you know, I I really find myself oh, going man. fast and. Rigid, You're gonna rigid. rock that thing at six hours at Temecula coming up. Yeah, I'm gonna race that thing. There you on, go. On January 30th. People who want to go uh, star, <laughs> star mod Perry. <laughs> six hours at Temecula. Yeah, what's help me out. To, hand me a water bottle. Do something, please. What's the date on that? <laughs> That's uh, two weeks from this Saturday, the 30th of January oh, at uh, the SoCal uh, 12 and 16 hours of Temecula. Yeah, good venue down at Vale Lake. That's, That's rad. A cool yeah. place. Yeah. So how's that? Um, you mentioned you you're running a Talus on the Trans SX. Mm-hmm. So how's that 160 working out? I know I, I ride with Jaron for the shop, and he was running a 150. Mm-hmm. How's the 160 work out for you on that? On the Trans, yeah. you know, to tell you the truth, I ride it mostly in the 140. You know, uh, I ride mostly. It's only if I get to something steep that I really drop it into the 160 because I it, it takes me a while. Like I, it just seemed like in the last couple of years, the bikes all of a sudden the head angles just got just kicked right. out really slow. Pair is making the slack hand signal right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. For for those of you who couldn't see my hand signal on radio, yeah, I was kind of making like you know the, they they slow it down. So it take me a while to get used to that. Uh, so I mean, I I don't know. You know, I'm I'm probably. I could ride a bike pretty good, but I'm, I'm sometimes I can't always determine how different parts ride. A lot of times, like if I'll ride in the 140 and rides 160, and I'll be like, oh, it rides the same, okay. you know. So it's just kind of yeah. like you just go down in and classic what, world championship form. You just <laughs> ride exactly. it and win. Just ride it and win. Yeah. I don't know. If I always win, but I mean, you just ride it. But you know, I don't know. It, it's it seems to work pretty good. I. I I like that bike. I, I I put a real short, not a real short stem. Now they have thirty fives or thirties or whatever. But I put a fifty, you know, on the bike, and 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 I love the. I think it climbs really good. I mean, it's heavier than my Anthem, but for some reason, sometimes I climb better on it. You know, right. especially if I get over rocky stuff because that bike is so smooth. It's like a couch. Yeah. You know, and it's just it it it's it if I'm gonna like if I'm coming to to a ride and I don't know you know who I'm riding with or where I'm gonna ride, I I grab that bike. Sure. Because if yeah. I know if I have to go over something, the bike can make it. I may not always make it, but the bike <laughs> can for sure make it. Yeah. But to answer the 160 on the trance question, I had a 160 pike on my trance for quite a while. It was a, sol- a, sing- a solo air, no dual position, and I thought it was great. Climbed well, descended well. Yeah. Um, That's for, a- for a lot of people, I think 150 is probably going to be more balanced. But if you want that, you know, if you want to re- put a 160 on there, I wouldn't. I wouldn't push you against it. If you, I raced a, in the summertime of last year, I raced an enduro and they had a few steep shoots on it. And I had the, the fork and the 160. And at that point I was like happy that I had it. Exactly. Yeah. Now, well, and that, that rear suspension on that trance is butter. 
Yeah. Clutch oh, jerk. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. When, you, when you have it set up properly with the sag, it really, really works good. You don't have to think about it, which is – if you don't have to think about something, that then to me, that's good. It's very neutral. Yeah. yeah. you want it to be. There, there's one thing I've noticed, and I haven't owned one of the new Giant Maestros, but – um, I've had friends that have had them and I've tried their bikes and stuff. I think there's something like th- maybe one of the differences is the upper shock mount. They put bearings in them a lot of the time instead of bushings like that. The rear suspension on the giant is one of the most, f- most active, most sensitive, uh, rear ends I've, I've felt on a lot of bikes. We just did that, Nathan, starting in, I believe it was 2014. We changed the upper shock mount to include bearings in it. Yeah. All the all the other bush, all the other pivots had bearings in it, mm-hmm. but where we mounted the shock just had mm-hmm. a bushing, and we put bearings in it, and it it actually it made a lot of difference. The other thing we did, and this is just something that it seems like so everybody should do this, but not everybody does it. We put like uh, where you could get the, to the wrench super easy to loosen or tighten all of the bearings and all of the pivot points, you know, with like a, a thin spanner because sometimes you know it's right there. Right where your crank is. Right. So what Perry's talking about a lot of mountain bikes to tighten the main pivot. You have to remove the crank. You have to remove yeah. the crank, and it's okay if you're a mechanic. But a lot of people that buy a bike are not mechanics. I don't know if it is okay. That's that's five minutes of my life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, but still, you can get there. You can tighten it because the bearing that always loosens up is the one that's right there, back behind the bottom bracket, and and that's the one I remember. On one of our previous bikes that did not have this easy access uh, bearing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, mechanic stuff. I remember I'm, I'm doing an enduro, and all of a sudden that pivot was so loose. I'm like, and it was right before the first one. And the first one on enduros, at least in my experience, is always the gnarliest one. It's always the steepest one. It's not the longest one. It's always the one that you got to go over a lot of rock gardens. I'm like, <laughs> oh, no. bitching. You know, so, but but yeah, so we, we fixed that, you know, and it's, it's so smooth. The nice thing is like, sometimes we would have like demonstrations where we would just take the shock, just a frame with a rear shock on it, let all the air of the shock and you would just feel how smooth it actually went up and down. And it just like, there was like no catching in it. And and those are little things that not a lot of people check out, you know, because I mean, I'll be the first to tell you, I've been selling giants for a long time. A lot of times it's like pedaling uphill, you know, I mean, we make bitching bikes, but not everybody wants to put a giant sticker on the back of their car, you know? And that's to me, when you win, you know, like I was driving the other day and I saw a guy with a pass sticker. I'm like, dude, you won. You know, like you beat all these other bike shops because they put a pass sticker on the back of their car. You know, I see a lot of other brands stickers on the back and sometimes I see a giant sticker, but when you get that sticker on the back of the car, you win. And, you know, and, and, and so with us, we had to be that good for people to do that. You know, I mean, and, uh, so it's, it's cool that you have that, that that we have that now because I, I, I do see them. But I mean, that's, that's why, you know, when I talk to people about our bikes, I always show these things. The thing I'm really proud about is usually, not always, but usually when someone gets on a giant bike, they stay on a giant, Mm. you know, you know, that's, that's what I've kind of find. It takes a little bit of coaxing. It takes a bit to get them on them, but when you get them on them, they're like, okay, I surrender. Right. You know, I'm in, I'm, I'm in the club, you know, and then they tell me, Hey, this bike's badass. (laughs) We see a lot of that with our demos. You know, we have our rental demo program where we rent bikes out and then we credit the rental fees towards purchase of a bicycle. And a lot of people come in with the the trance, particularly is often kind of the third one on the list that they're going to try also. And it ends up beating out the two kind of 
more hyped, more marketed bikes that they tried. Yeah, that's that. I have that experience too. You know, and, and, and sometimes we lose them. You know, and so uh, I and I make sure you know, and like I think one of the things I've been in, the, <clears throat> in this industry for a long time, and in Orange County for a long time, so I know a lot of your customers. You know, like you know, before we I've been with you, I've been with you. Right. You know, we we, yeah. right. we 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 we've done stuff before. You know, and I sometimes I see them they get giants and then they they stray for a little bit, or you know, or they were looking, <laughs> they were talking to me about, it and right. I see them with another brand. You know, I make sure to let them know that I know, but I don't like beat them up too much about it. You know, <laughs> not that they probably care that much anyhow, but it's just. You know, I mean, it, it's just like, okay, he knows, you know, they're like putting their head down. You know? <laughs> but then when they get a giant, they're like, check, check it out. And like on Facebook and Instagram, I get it all the time. Dude, I just got the giant. You know, there's one guy that was a real, real badass on a BMX bike. His name's Tim Judge. And I lost him on, I was trying to get him a deal on a, uh, you know, on a trance and, and I lost him to another brand, but he just recently got one of our road bikes and he's like, dude, I'm all in now. He just sent me like a private message, you know, <laughs> and, and to anybody who knows early BMX, Timmy Judge was, he, I mean, he, he, oh, right. he was and still is a badass on a bike, you right. know, and also a jet ski racer and stuff like that. But it was cool just to get that from him, you know, just telling me, yeah, yeah. I'm in now. I'm in. Yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, and definitely, I mean, the giants definitely making some really awesome product but they they also haven't lost that value and um i've had friends when they've been like hey i want to get into the sport and say their budget is maybe two to three thousand dollars like oh man it's giant trance every time like at right. any day of the week and twice on sunday like get it if your budget is not through the moon it's like oh um, in my mind, it's almost like only Giant. If your budget is six grand, you should try Giant and a couple other brands and and pick the one that really suits you. But if your budget is twenty five hundred bucks or twenty eight hundred bucks, get a Trance. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. and and that's and that's good. That works for us and against us. I guess guys on Giants, you know, right there, you know, again, so to me, it doesn't always make somebody want to put the sticker on the back of the bike. You know, I would like to. You know, I've learned a lot about Giant. I mean, there's. There's a lot of things other than just the suspension, you know, that makes our bikes really good. Uh, one of the things is with us is, you know, if you buy a carbon fiber giant, I don't know how many of your listeners know this. We get carbon fiber in raw form, basically in spools. We have these this huge room. It's called the loom room, and where basically it weaves all the carbon fiber. Oh wow! For, yeah, you should check it out. If you go like on, if you Google it or whatever, and, and look at you know uh, the loom room or giant carbon composite manufacturing, there's videos that come up now that are available for the public to see. And it took a long time for actually the the big brass at giant you know, worldwide to actually let the cameras come in and take a look at this. But it's really impressive. I mean, the way that we weave the carbon fiber, that we make our own resin, you know, the way that we explain it to people is when you build a bridge, it's, you look and you see it's concrete, right? But you can't, you can't build a bridge without having the rebar in it. So the carbon fiber threads is like the rebar. The resin is like the concrete. Mm -hmm. And while the carbon fiber is the same in a lot of different brands, the resin is not the same. Yeah, we do all of that ourselves. You know the way that we uh, the the way that we do that on the frames, the, the way that everything is so smooth that that where the cables come in, where the cables come out. I mean, when you really pick apart a giant, you're like, wow, that really is mm. a fine piece of machinery. You know, and because we are the manufacturer, we can give it to you at a pretty nice price. You know, yeah. but the, yeah, I mean, sure. we have a saying. 
wherever we go, whether it's a $2,000 bike, a $3,000 bike, an $8,000 bike, or a $600 bike, it's best in class. And when we put, let's say we have our wheel systems, we have our handlebars, we have our stems, everything, when we put it in that thing, our goal is to be best in class in whichever class it is that we're going up against, you know? I mean, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't, but that's the goal. And and a lot of times that it it really is, you know? Well, it shows because I think every time you come out, an absolute legitimate choice at any price point, I mean... It, there, there's nothing. There's. I think there's no objective way to say that. Oh, th- this bike is better than a giant at this price point. It's. It may be better for an individual, but it's. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, right now cycling is so in. It, 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 so experienced is that even the crappy bikes are good. You know, so really, you have to have the little nuances to really make a really really good bike. You know, and and it's not just and it's. Just the bike is one thing, but the main thing is, you know, like you were talking about, you know, let's say one of your customers, you know, gets a, buys a giant trance, you know, or a stance. Like the day that you and I were riding and we saw that guy, Steve or Scott, I that think. That guy was, was killing it on that stance. He was, yeah, exactly. We're catching up to him and all of a sudden I go, that's a stance right there. And I'm going to tell this story. Yeah. Since you brought it up. Yeah. Per- Perry, and our, Perry and I went out for a ride one afternoon at Santiago Oaks and we're, we're having a good time. We're kind of we're, – we're at kind of a talking but pushing each other a little bit pace. And this guy comes up to us and he's on this stance and he's not – he doesn't really have like – he doesn't have a kit. You know, he's got flat pedals. The stance is a, a $1,400 bike at retail. Um, like he's a regular guy who's getting into mountain biking. But he is killing it too. Like he's an athlete and he's having fun. And he's pushing us on the cl- like he's pushing us up the climb while he talk- Oh, you're Perry, you're Perry Kramer, you're Tawny from the path. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> and like, oh, it was just awesome to see this guy, you know, a young, a kid by our standards, a young man, um, on what to a lot of us is kind of entry level equipment and not not even fully outfitted, almost. You know, like I think he might have been wearing like a cotton t shirt. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and uh, but just loving it, loving it, loving the bike he was riding. And he had bought it from the path and and loving it, the time out there and stoked to be riding with us. He came in, I think he rode Hawk with us. And yeah. Nice. Yeah. Oh, wow. I, yeah. yeah. It, 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 no, it was cool. And he ended up, we Facebook friended one another and kind of, you know, stayed in touch and, and, and see this stuff right there. But what I'm getting at is like, you know, that guy, he bought that bike. I mean, he rode the wheels off of that bike, you For know, sure. and – Maybe literally. <laughs> yes, yeah, maybe literally. But to, to him, that was what got him in there. And he was out there riding by himself. You know, I mean, and he and he told me at the time, he goes, I think I have like 2,000 miles already on this bike. It was, I think that was like Jan- early February. He oh, bought the bike. Tell. He bought the bike in December from, you know, uh, in between Christmas and New Year's. The change days and cranks had the wear marks from where his right, heels had passed sure. 10 million yeah, exactly. times. And the only thing he changed, he put, he put like a reverb seat post on it. Right. You know, oh, nice. and, yeah, it was serious. Yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 it was cool. But bottom line is, to him, that was his bike. You know, we might look, oh, it's a stance or whatever, you know, or or even like the, when we have that uh, the high school night and we had these deals on like the Talon 3, which is a $700 bike, and we had a deal for the high school kids and then i go out to some of these 12 and 16 hour races these 12 and, uh, and six yeah, hour races like, is like the mecca for the high schoolers because they get their teams and they go out there right. and it's like their training thing and i see some of these kids and their parents come up to me and they go hey you remember me we got yeah. that bike at the path 
you know, and, and I see their kids are just and Johnny's charging. racing 12 hours on it. Yeah, yeah. well, they're with a team and everything, but you know what is it? That's their bike, you know, so when you realize that whatever bike they have is their bike, you know, that's yeah, the main sure. thing, you know, it's, yeah. it, it, you know, you, you, you pay attention to that. And, uh, and that's why I think, you know, it, it, everybody can remember your first bike. Oh, for sure. Everybody yeah. yes. remembers their first bike. And then they remember their first good bike, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and, and that's kind of the way it is with mountain biking or, or, or road riding. And that's why, you know, maybe I've got that reputation for, like, paying attention to that kind of stuff because it matters, Right. You know, I mean, it mattered to me. It still matters. I mean, sometimes, I mean, I build up a bike and I, and I, and I, and I finish it and then I go in my house, I'm doing something. Then I walk back to the garage and I grab the brake lever, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, <laughs> that's a great line. Yeah. We've all done that. Everybody, oh, yeah. Everybody's done that, you know, and it's kind of, you walk back and you walk back out, you know, and you spin the thing, you hear how the br- the wheel doesn't touch any of the rear brake, yeah. you know, that it's should like, be like the secret password to be in the club. <laughs> yeah. I, I swear it's. Yeah. Funny that you bring that up. It's yeah. almost like it's almost like what like if you have a dog or something, you always walk. Is still laughing because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> everybody has that yeah. memory. I was doing that two days ago. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you were. Well, it's like petting the dog, right? Like you walk by and scratch the dog behind your ears. I think every now that you say that, I don't think I've ever even noticed myself doing. It. I think every time I walk by my bike in the garage, I squeeze the brake lever <laughs> and just walk by. It's yeah. like, like if I'm feeling really frisky, maybe check the headset. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that might require work, so maybe you don't want to go there. But Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's important. And I, I think, you know, that culture, again, I, I don't want to keep going back to make it like a big commercial for Giant, but that's when I go to some of these events or like our sales meetings or like the big dealer events, you know, all my other fellow account executives, I love the, the first night we get together because we all sit there, we down a few beers or whatever, and we start talking. We all have the same thing, but everybody right now has that big love of bikes. Yeah, for sure. You know, so it's um, it's cool. It's a cool time to be in the industry, and it's a things are changing. You know, bikes are changing. One well, Giant's the, leading now. I mean, this is new for Giant to be leading on the changes with twenty seven and a half. With 27 and a half, I mean, I think we were one of the first to, like, we took that whole Defy line and made it disc brake, you know. I mean, it's a gamble because you have a lot of, let's say, uh, purists, you know, and I'm not bagging on purists by any means, but, you know, oh, disc brake, I'll never ride a bike with, with road bike with disc brakes, you know. Um, But, you know, a long time ago when we came out with the TCR, again, in the late 90s, you know, and that had that sloping frame. Everyone was like, what the hell is that bike? You know, it's like road bikes supposed to be like a horizontal top tube. We had like the same sloping top tube like a a mountain bike. You know, now you look at most of the major brands – with the exception of a few, but most of the major brands and a lot of the smaller ones all have sloping top tube road bikes. It just makes sense. But you have to – you got to roll the dice. Someone has to be a leader. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, you know. But at least, you know, if you take chances like that, you know, no one can fault you. You, you, you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down this path. This path may take me into a bunch of bushes. I may have to hike a bike out of here, which we all have done, but I'm taking this freaking path, you know. And, and that's, that's what we do a lot of times on, on different bikes, whether it's, you know, the Maestro suspension or 27.5 or disc brakes on a road bike, you know, or, or with our Propel, you know, aero, aero uh, road bike. I mean, there's... You know, the, the, we take we take chances. You know, and and I'm happy to be part of that. 
when I buy my next road bike, it's probably going to be a Propel. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. That's going to be really fast. Well, and that's, um, I think that, um, you know, a lot of what you say is, is true about the path as well. You know, everyone at the path that you, that you run into, Tawny, to the mechanics, to, to everyone who's, who's worked there and, and folks who even don't work there anymore. Uh, continue to love the bike you ride, and so it's it's no wonder that there's a, a huge mutual respect between you know you Perry, and 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 the Path as well, and Tawny, and the relationship that the Path has with with Giant. I think that that speaks volumes. No, yeah, it's yeah, it, it it's good. You know, the nice thing I like, especially about dealing with Tawny and the Path, that they've stuck to their guns. Sometimes we try to push them to go in certain ways, mm-hmm. and he may surrender a little bit, but usually it's like, well, here's the reason why we do what we do, and and he stays that course, you know. And what I noticed, like today, when I was going up up mustard, I, there was a guy in a Trans SX, and I'm passing him up, you know. I'm going up right there, and I'm talking to him. I go, how you like the bike? Oh, the bike's bitching, you know, everything. I go, where'd you get it? He goes, I got it the path. You know, I really love that shop. I go, yeah, I love that shop too. I'm a rep for Giant, and I and, and I deal with him. You know, and he's like, oh, that was cool. You know, so even today, you know, earlier today, like right before, right, right before I came here, mm-hmm. I, I, and that happens to me quite often. Same thing happened when we ran on that guy. You know, riding riding his stance up the hill. But the bottom line is, is everybody that works there. You know, whether it be their, you know, buyer, Brian, Megan, you know, all their techs, you know, Brandy. I mean, everybody is, this, you know, we're selling bikes and we, it's a business. They understand it. They realize you need to make money. You can't take good feeling to the bank. You need to take money to the bank. However, that good feeling can turn into the stuff that you can take to the bank and when you can do something like that, then it's like, okay, now you've kind of hit the mecca because you have a good shop, you have a good business practice, and you make people happy, you know. And when you finally retire or your son takes it over or whatever happens, if all your employees <laughs> buy it, however, you know, because no one stays in it forever, right? right? You know, you may stay it till you die, you know, and that right. might be good. Maybe you die in your bike. That's even better. But, you know, <laughs> hopefully not right away. <laughs> and me too. You know, but bottom line is, you know, there'll be all these people that can look back and you say, you know what? I bought my bike from you back in, ni- in 2004 and that bike changed my life, you know, and it's yeah. like, it has to make you feel good, you know. It does, and, and not that, every shop has the person that will go and tell them that, but yeah. the path does. That and all the way, all the way down to like, I'm proud of the fact that there's some kid who hung out there every day after school because he didn't have anywhere better to go to. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But thank you, Perry. <laughs> you know, Perry and I were talking earlier today. We were going to do some sort of, um, you know, mention Perry Kramer and the Path Podcast promo code, etc. And uh, we didn't get that hammered out because we both had busy days. But I just want to say <laughs> um, email sales at the pathbikeshop.com if you're interested in a giant. Mention the Perry, the Perry Kramer podcast, and I will give you my personal five diamond service. <laughs> and make sure you get the deal of a lifetime on a giant, and you can help you demo one and get the right size. And I'll hook Tawny up there too. So you'll get it from both ends. You know, just yeah. make, the, the PK uh, path 
podcast. <laughs> Easy for me to say. Personal <laughs> five diamond service. You will not forget this. From PK and Tani. It doesn't get better than that. You may not have won the lotto, but you can get the five diamond service. <laughs> but I didn't win the Powerball. <laughs> well, uh, you know, there was a, a just a couple of quick questions uh, I, I had jotted down that kind of out of my curiosity and also i'm i'm gonna let everybody know i'm totally ripping these questions off of uh, tim ferris he's a author and he does a podcast and i it, they're just kind of interesting questions i kind of catered them towards our, our purposes here but obviously you get a you get a lot of parts for free or at hookup but just out of curiosity in in recent memory what's your favorite bike product that retails under a hundred dollars Fa- favorite bike product under a hundred bucks that you can remember oh god Giant pro floor pump. <laughs> that, that's mine. While Perry thinks about it, I'm just going to say I pumped up my car tires with it. You can see the tubeless tire with it. Um, I believe the retail is well under $100. Um, it's chrome colored. Um, it pumps a lot of air at once. And you can pump a road tire to full pressure with it. Jeez, I'm gonna have to go get one of these. <laughs> yeah, we're at the live oak path bike shop. Yeah, actually, yeah, that's a, that that is a very good one. I mean, okay, so. I would have to say, you know, it's hard for me to, to think about that right now, but the as far as what I sell, that's one of them. We also sell like this, we call it the quick fix kit, and it's got a bag, and it's got a CO2, you know, and it's got tire levers, and, and it's like everybody everybody takes one, one, one of those So things. this is like an under-the-saddle seat bag. Yeah, under-the-saddle seat bag that, that has everything. But I would, I would say e- e- even more than that, just – it's a it's a super inexpensive product, but we have I mean, and we didn't come up with this by no means, but like I would have to give maybe innovations like you know the the credit for it. I still every time I use a CO two cartridge, you know those things. That's yeah. like that's that's the absolute best. I mean, you know because yeah. that that also will seat all my tubeless tires, you yeah. know, and that and that I always have with me. It's it's kind of like you know I, I, I we used to sell a lot more of them before we had it with our brand name on it. But it used to, you know I was on their ambassador thing. They'd always send me stuff, and I still have yeah. some of the the cartridges. And you know I don't get that many flat tires, but you know. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> I just knocked on wood. But anyhow, I, I think that right there. Um, probably the other thing, and it's not that popular of a product, but I love it. There's a ODI grip, and what I forget what the, even the model of it is. But those lock-on grips. Is it know, the little diamond shapes or the big squares it's like, or it's the like, squiggly lines? It's a gray one, and it's I forget what it is, <laughs> ultimate or something like that. But it's a lock-on grip. I lock-on grips. I would have to say lock-on grips because I remember. Back in my safety day. Safety wire. Yeah. Back anyway. in my day. No, not safety wire. We would put like and, and I tell you, this is like sounds ridiculous. And I in this and my buddy Byron Fry did it to me back in nineteen ninety one when I was changing my bars to race from downhill to the with the dual slalom at Mammoth Mountain. And we pulled my grips off and you know what he used to put them back on super quick and so they would lock on? Hairspray? Triflow. Oh, wow. Unbelievable. You put tri- you wouldn't think that would work. You put triflow on a little bit of triflow, slide your grip on. And within yeah. like five minutes, it, it like ain't, melts the rubber. It, it, that, that thing ain't moving. Oh, you know, so vulcanizes that, that, the rubber to yeah, the, exactly right. The but I didn't know that when I was doing BMX, and now oh man, I sit there in my garage getting <laughs> freaking <laughs> grips off and on. You know, so I, lock on grips. You know, I, I surrender. Yeah. You know, and I'd say anything under three hundred bucks. Obviously, the, well, maybe they're more now, but I mean uh, the dropper seat post. That's, that giant dropper seat post. Yeah, I just I just got one. A, 
two they months rock. ago. They rock. They rock. Awesome. They're yeah. so they're so they're so good. You know, the giant seat post rocks, but I mean every drive every dropper, dropper. seat post. But Just the giant's a great yeah, value. But the new the new giant dropper post has the front back adjustment bolt for the clamp, like a Thompson. Yeah. yeah. It has up to six inches of drop. Yeah. One it, the same seat post can be either stealth routed or yes. not stealth routed. Yeah. yeah. That was um, good. And it's like three hundred bucks. Yeah. And yeah. it's retails three hundred instead of is it yeah six hundred? Yeah, and for about six hundred. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. It, it's an awesome and, and it's very reliable, very smooth. Yeah, I I've I bought one for my bike. I've been using it for probably the last three or four months or so. I've been super happy with it. Yeah. No, they work they they, they, they work they work really good. So so that Remember when we all used to make fun of dropper posts or many I did. And then yeah. and Nathan I'm, never I'm did. E- eating a lot of eating a lot of crow every, every day. <laughs> I just remember the first one I, I put on my bike. It was one of the ones with the trail right up over here. You know, it had its issues, but it still went up and down. I didn't yeah. care if I had to pull it back up. That thing went down and that thing went back up. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. I, I, I was back in the day of there was a, a product called the Height Right. You know, oh, yeah. you know, and that you 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 loosened your quick release and you push it down. That thing was supposed yes. to push it back yes. up. You know, and that was cool because that's what you had at the time. You know, and all these bikes ha- had it on there. So that was like basically a spring loaded seat post. It was a spring loaded seat post. So you had to loosen the quick release still, but it would pop back up. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. basically gets you back to the same spot. Yeah, yeah. I was I, I, I would say that, and um, yeah. I guess that's yeah. No, I that's I, I I totally agree. Like. I still, you know, always carry a mini pump for when everything goes south. But man, a hot day, a cold day on a trail, having a CO2 in your pack instead of having to pump it up. (laughs) Oh, it's great. Or Mm -hmm. take turns with your buddy pumping up a tire with a mini pump. Uh, CO2s are great. Yeah. Um, What's the next one? I just had one one other question that I thought of that I thought might be kind of interesting is uh, what, what advice would you give yourself, say, 18-year-old BMX racer, what advice would you give your 18-year-old self? Well, my 18-year-old self, I would have <laughs> said to be a little bit more serious about the stuff. I mean... Yeah, but you wouldn't have listened. <laughs> I catered to your audience rhetorically uh, uh, here. Okay, uh, you're, you're right. But, you're, you know, when I look back at myself, like if I look back at my BMX career, I'm thinking, you know what, if I would have been a little bit more serious, I really could have done some damage. Because I did some damage, I could have done some serious damage. But at any rate... Um, I would say not necessarily my 18 year old self. I would say an 18 year old kid on BMX right now. That that's kind of that. I guess that was kind of yeah, the spirit of the question. What, what I what I would say is to the, to that kid is just to make sure whatever you're doing, you think about it, do your best. You know, don't try to copy anybody. You know. But really be smart enough and think about what is going to make you motivated and do the best that you can. You know, because like I've met some kids, like when we did a, a ride, and one of the kids, you know, he I think he rides for you, Sean Small. He's a good rider, you know. Yeah, he does. And, and he's a young guy, you know. And, and I kind of see, you know, he's always posting stuff up, his rides, you know. And, and I, I look at him and I'm kind of thinking, you know what, that kid's got his stuff together because he's – you know, he, he's posting stuff up. He's challenging himself. You know, he's not afraid to put some stuff stuff out there. And, you know, he, he he's riding hard. And, you know, 
he may or may not want to race or be the fastest guy out there, but in doing the stuff that he's doing, he's made himself one of the fastest guys out there and probably one of the more pleasant people to ride with. Absolutely. So I say yeah. if you do kind of model kind of something like that, you know, I think you'll you'll kind of go far. And if you and if racing is it what it is that you want to do? Because right now the BMX racers that race the uh, Olympics or the Olympic tracks, they're serious. You know, and you may you better make sure that you have a training regiment that you can do that'll put you close to the top, but also not burn you out. You know, and yeah. and, and be smart. I would it has have, to be sustainable. The other thing, and there's going to be a lot of girls who are not going to want to hear this, but I say if you're going to be a racer, don't get yourself a steady girlfriend because <laughs> <laughs> they will. Detract you from racing. <laughs> I think that's great advice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Or if you're a serious girl who's racing, don't get a don't, steady don't boyfriend. Get you, yeah, exactly. It and it's hard because, you know, I, I see, like, you know, there's a lot of, like, you know, the, the top, you know, men racers, the top, you know, women racers, you know. I mean, it's, it's just natural. You want to have a boyfriend. You want to have a girlfriend. I get it. You know, I mean, it's a, you know, but uh, if you want to be an athlete, you know, have your fun. But stay on your own. So Sean Small is a great example. And, yeah. and I think for to put this in kind of some perspective for some kids, Sean has been – Sean is I think he's 17 or, or so. No, I think he's more than that. He's, I, think he's he, like, I think he's like 20-something. Is he? Okay. Think, so yeah. he, he's well over six feet tall. He's a tall young man. Yeah. Um, he's been coming into the path since before he towered over me with his dad. And he's always – I mean, you know, since he was a little kid. And he's always been – been really humble and really kind and you could always see just the fire like he would look at every bike and he would analyze every bike and he would lust for every bike and and you could see that he just wanted to ride all the time yeah and uh and now he, he's really come along to be pretty fast and, and he's having a lot of fun and and you know doing well in some races and it's Absol- great to see absolutely it's like i'm kind of now I'm involved in this kind of like old school BMX guys. Like I just did this like the last weekend, the forty one thirty, you know, the final, the last lap. You know, it was their sixth anniversary ride, and these guys, you know, I mean, I guess I'm fifty six. They're not all as old as me, but there's a lot of guys between forty and my age, right? You know, and on some of these Facebook and Instagram photos, there's like people post pictures of these old bike shops where they had all these BMX frames and everything, right. you know, and that's, you know, I mean, now the kids would kind of look back to like, you know, a shop like yours that had all these mountain bike frames, but they look and they're like, Oh God, just bring me back there. You know, it's just like, <laughs> right. that's their day, you know? And when you have that passion and when you look at bikes and you just remember going to the bike shop, I remember myself, you, whether it was Bicycleville or Santa Monica Cyclery or Bikeology, you know, or the, uh, the shops that I went to when I was a young kid, it was just like, you just went there and, and I was there all the time. I was a kid, you know, that just like, get out of here, kid, you know, <laughs> but you know, you just look at stuff. And when something new came in, you knew it. When yeah, red right. line forks came out, I was like, Oh my God. Red line forks. <laughs> right. We no longer got to bend forks. You still, you know, I mean, you know, it was th- that was th- that day. Now it's yeah, different because sure. everything is built so good. But you know, so you guys used to bend your forks out for more rake or what? 
No, you just bent because you landed it on the, oh, on the jump and it was bent. It. Yeah, no, you, you jumped a flat. No, you had to turn it back, bound the bike back over oh, just to bend man. the fork back. Was that it was, a bouncing motion you were making? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it for a those that motion. you could not see on this podcast. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, you know, when we got like, you know, uh, chromoly cranks, when we got red line forks, when we got, you know, actual double clamp stems other than a stem that you had to bend over to put the <laughs> uh, handlebar with the crossbar through, you know, but you know, there's still kids that come into your shop. I'm sure right now they just look at, oh, dude, check out that hub. Or, oh yeah, you know, some of them know the inventory better than I do. Yeah, exa- exa- exactly yeah. right. You know, I mean, so so that's the thing I would say. Yeah. You know, just make sure that you love it. You know, I mean, if if you love it, you know, and you want to keep doing it, you know, and try to keep your distractions at a minimum. Yeah, definitely. No, that sounds like solid advice for sure. Well, I love the fact that you know maybe this is a common theme among some of our you know, illustrious guests like PK, uh, like Perry and, and Larissa world cup racer and, and, um, uh, the bell, the bell family. Mike oh yeah. Sean, bell family. Sean and Mike. Yeah. Well, you know, like yeah. to, to hear all of you, one of the things we hear is, is love what you do and, um, and take ownership, you know, like you're saying, like everyone remembers that first bike they, they owned. And, and when you get out and you you race that bike that you love and that you that you owned like own what it is and own your performance i mean and so it's it's like a lot of ownership a lot of love what you do yeah um, do it from yeah. the heart yeah, yeah. Abso- absolutely you know and and you, it doesn't always have to be that you go out there and beat everybody because some people are just naturally more gifted than others but you know as long as you go out there and go hard like right now if i go to a cross country race and there's 30 guys and i get 15th i'm okay Right you know, now. I mean, I, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, yeah, I like to do better. And maybe I'll try train a little harder and do some of that. But you got to have that balance in your life. You as know? long as your other buddy got 20th. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's absolutely. Yeah. As long as you beat your buddy. But the thing about it, like, you have other things going on in your life. You know, when you're 18, when you're 20, you don't have that much other things going on in your life. I remember, you know, before we cut off, I mean, when I was 15 years old, I had a really good week. Uh, Led Zeppelin just came out with that album, Physical Graffiti. I saw him at the forum. And then the night after, the day after we saw him at the forum, the team that I was on, Dirtmaster, which was a badass team, went to the first ever NBA uh, national in in Phoenix, Arizona. And I got to go out there with my teammate, with Stu Thompson, with Brian Ramazinski, with Bobby Watts, with Robbie Dirtcloud O'Hare. That was our team that we went out there with. And I remember we're driving out there. And I look. And I see these other cars are going the opposite way that we're going. I'm thinking, how could anybody not be going out to this national? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what I was, at a 15-year-old kid, that's what I was thinking, you know. And it's like, if you have that feeling, you know, you're just like, you know, if that's what matters to you, then just do it. Yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. That was a good week. <laughs> it really sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. Back in my day. Physical graffiti. <laughs> man, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> that was 1975. Oh, man. <laughs> well, guys, uh, any I, other questions? I think you guys? should ask your question about mountain bike versus BMX and what's first in Perry's heart. Oh, okay. I, I, You know, I think I... So I wrote this question down beforehand, and I, I think I kind of know based on uh, our discussion so far. But, you know, obviously you started out in BMX racing. Um, and now I, it sounds like as uh, your careers progress, you kind of focus a little bit more on mountain biking. But is BMX always going to have that like 
first love in your heart? Is BMX always going to be where like your first love? I guess. Well, yes, BMX absolutely is my first love. I mean, I don't ride that much BMX. I mean, I ride a BMX bike. I have you know a few of the modern day PK Rippers, mm-hmm. and now the company that owns PK Ripper SE Racing is smart enough to make these bikes big because everybody that loves SE Racing <laughs> is an old guy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and we want to ride those bikes. And I would say everything kind of goes back to the to the BMX days, uh-huh. you know. So yes, that absolutely, you know, it, it, BMX is, is 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 my love. But a mountain bike, I look at it as kind of a big BMX bike. I was going to say, how much difference is there really? Yeah, you're out on a bike, having friend, having good times with your friends. Yeah, and- it's a bike. I mean. When I first started, you know, we were riding Schwinn Stingways and we were making jumps and stuff like that. And, you know, even today on this single speed that I have that has no suspension on it, you know, I'm coming down and I see this little hip jump and I'm like, oh, I got to hit that. You know, and it's like, you know, and just, you know, boosting. Oh, yeah, I landed that good. You know, so it's... It's kind of the same thing. It's it's a dirt bike. You know, even on my road bike, I've been a lot of times when I'm on a road bike riding with guys, and all of a sudden I'll bunny hop a curb, and I'll kind of do this little thing where there's train tracks, and pop, you know, right. they'll clear the train tracks or whatever like that. It's always something that's kind of like, you know, just riding, you know, your, your BMX bike. BMX will always be my first love. But, I mean, it's like, yeah. you know – that that's really what you know got me into you know when Schwinn Stingrays when all of a sudden mm. my bike was just dialed I just you know remember this I couldn't ride it enough yeah right you know awesome just a side note on BMX and something that's crossed my mind a number of times is man I I I wish they'd put in more tracks locally because it's to me it's a sport that could so easily be become part of my like weekly routine if it was like kind of on the way home from work or closer to my house, you know, and I'd, I'd love to race, you know, like just twice a week or something, drop by and, and do a race in the evening. And, uh, unfortunately the nearest track is kind of the other way from where I work. And so it, it's been kind of hard to ever think about, uh, bringing it back into my life on like a super regular routine, but Man, with all these CrossFit gyms and everything, we just need more BMX tracks. Well, I'll go ride the Orange Y with you. Yeah. But we got to do that sometime. And, and, and th- see, that's the thing is, you know, it used to be, again, back in my day, it was like we were – tracks just sprouted up all over the place, yeah. you know. And it, it got to the point where they'd have like, oh, gosh, I can't race on Wednesday. I can't race on Friday. I can't race on – so you'd have to have a track that would have to race on Tuesday. Well, who wants to race on a Tuesday night, you know? So it's like – and then the, the tracks like Orange, they race on Wednesday. They race on Friday. They race on Sunday. They have the good nights. That track has put in their time, and they're a very a very good track. It's different though now. You know, you have so much liability. Oh yeah, it's yeah, expensive. It's, to, it's expensive to to run a track. You know, and now I mean, you get compared to let's say the Orange Y. That's a class A track. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you want to get people to ride your track, and maybe, well, maybe I won't go to Orange Y this time. I'm going to come to your track. You got to build this track. It's not easy to do that. Yeah. You know, so it's it's a lot different now. You know, so I mean. Uh, the thing about it is, like, there's still a lot of kids that you know build up jumps. You know, there's still oh yeah, yeah. There's there, there's still a lot a lot of good riding spots. You yeah. hit the BMX track once in a while, Perry. Uh, I don't as much as I I should. You know, here's my thing: is Too I much have fanfare. I no, it's not that much fanfare. I mean, it's kind of like you ha- you only have so much time, and if 
if I was to to put time into going out to race in BMX or just ride in BMX track, like if I go to the BMX track and I ride it right now, I'm going to be like probably as good as maybe like the 15 intermediates or so like that. I might be okay, you know, and stuff like that, you know. But it's like I personally, I'd want right. to go out there and, and and do better. And between my time with working, between my my personal life with my wife and you know family. Uh, I also, you know, I ride a lot of bikes and I, I do golf, you know, that's kind of like my time, you know, for, right. for stuff right there to go to the BMX track would add another couple of days during the week to be Perry Kramer on the BMX track. It would take yeah. away from the rest of your life. Now yeah. that being said, lately I've had kind of a hankering. So I may, you know, I've, <laughs> I've been watching some of these races and some of some of this stuff. It's a lot different now. The tracks are a lot different. I'd like to get back out there and I may, I may do that, so I would have to like bump off, you know. I mean, maybe let the golf handicap. Drop maybe one in. day we'll rent out the sh- the track for the shop, and you can come. That'd show be us how it's done. Well, see, th- see, that's a, that's it right there. I'm. <laughs> I'd have to ride for probably about forty five minutes before I'm starting to show you a little bit of how it's done. Yeah, you know, what I'm saying, but we can rent I, it for an hour longer. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like. But I would very much like to get back out and, and, and ride some BMX, probably on a twenty four at least. You know, uh, I went out there with my son, and he was riding around on his twenty inch mountain bike. We had a blast. He did yeah. about thirty laps. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's it, 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 it's really cool. You know, so that's great. Well, guys, uh, any other questions from from you guys? Yeah, this has been an, an amazing experience. Uh, Perry, thanks for coming in. Yeah, thank you so much for your time, Perry. Yeah, what? definitely. And and uh, don't be a stranger. I hope we can uh, have you back on a, a future show sometime. But uh, yeah, it's been absolute pleasure. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for giving me the time. You know, make sure you you know pay. Uh, a lot of respect to the Path Bike Shop because I know that they work hard in getting this stuff done. And uh, if you do go over there and you get a giant, I say thank you very much. Awesome. So, five diamond service. Five <laughs> diamond service. All right. Thanks very much. Thank awesome. You. Have a good night, everybody. Balanced on the edges of